We're excited to announce the Following the Fire podcast book club. We're going to be reading a new book every month, and uh, we want you to read along with us. Then we're going to have a discussion. Uh, we're hoping to get some guests in so we can talk about some of our favorite books or maybe some of your favorite books. So which one are we doing this week, Steve? We're going to do With by Sky Jatani. It's a short short uh, title, so I'm going to repeat it. Yeah. Uh, that's With, W-I-T-H, that's the end, by Sky, spelled like the sky with an E at the end, Jatani, spelled like Jathani. So, exactly. With a J. With a with a J. And to make it easy on you guys, we'll stick a link to the book in the show notes and on the website at followingthefire.com. Yeah, so we are hoping to do these. Well, so we'll see what happens, but the kind of the beginning or the end of each month. So we are going to do this on April 7th. So get yourself a copy of With and read along. Send us some of your comments. Uh, tell us what you thought. Maybe send us a question you'd like us to answer or uh, send us a book suggestion. And the month after that, maybe we'll read your book. Can't wait to see you there. And I have been searching for what most people say just can be found. But you always find me out. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Can't compare with what you're In this episode, Nathan's going to share with us how misunderstanding good guys versus bad guys can lead to a gospel of moral superiority, and even this idea of us against them. And along the way, Nathan realizes that he wasn't the Jedi he thought he was the Sith the whole time. All these messages I thought you wanted to hear But it only takes a whisper Hey, you're like living with a person now, right? I'm living with a person now, yeah. Just Is that got, weird? Um, she's unpacking things. We have two of everything. So, <laughs> um, it's the beginning of integration of our stuff and we skipped a you know like wedding shower all together kind of on accident yeah but we're also not 19 so <laughs> you know we already have what you need to do life you got right? you got a toaster already i have a toaster i have a blender i have a a slow cooker well instant pot i don't have an instant pot right, this, yeah, there you go i'm so i'm behind <laughs> I don't have a, what else? Um, we we are being given a stand mixer, which is, of course, oh. that's how you know you're married. Because if, you know, <laughs> single dads don't need stand mixers. That's true. That's for, uh, it's for serious cooking business. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. So that'll, but we can't pick the color. We're having trouble picking the color. So once we pick the color, my grandma has a, is going to buy me one. So that's cool. But anyways, it's kind of nice though. I mean, it's too bad we missed out on all the celebration and the loot from wedding showers. But uh, also, we have so much stuff already that we don't we don't really need. Yeah, we need less, not more. But it's great. So I'm wondering, Steve, if you if you had growing up, or maybe you have now, a show that you liked or a comic book or something that was about good versus evil. Oh, like what wasn't there? Are, <laughs> it's, it's the, it's what every story that I cared about is about. I mean, the, the biggest one that comes to mind, that's still a, fa- a favorite of mine is, you know, star Wars, star Wars. I was, I was wondering if you were going right? to, were you, were you a kid that you liked it as a kid? You were a fan. Oh as yeah. A kid? Oh yeah. First Did, movie I ever went to in my life that I remember anyway. Wow was uh, uh Empire Strikes Back and the Is that episode is that the middle one? Ep- episode 5 but really 2 cuz yeah. we don't speak of the other ones. We do not. And I remember very vividly I remember it was the uh, it's a theater that's closed down now over Campus West area and I climbed in my mom's lap because I was so afraid because I was afraid that they were going to put C3O back together again. You know, like when he gets blown <laughs> apart and he's like in the backpack, Chewbacca's backpack. Yeah. I was so afraid that they weren't going to get C-3PO back together again. I climbed up on my mom's lap and I, I turned away from the screen at, the, at that time. I don't, I don't remember, I, that's all I remember from the whole movie, but. Yeah, that's funny. And the, there's like my brother watched Star Wars and somehow he ended up identifying with the dark side. Like, <laughs> um, and there's, there's some I kids. I see like, that. Some kids they end up they watch those movies and they they want to be Darth Vader. Were you yeah. uh were you so did you watch and you you were like I'm a Jedi for sure. Uh, or yeah. at least in oh, the yeah. resistance. Yeah, I was I was definitely a Jedi. Yeah. Um I for me uh, I watched Star, Star Wars but kind of late but definitely was a Jedi. Um Darkwing Duck was really big for me. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And I was allowed to watch that because he uses non-lethal forms of violence. He's just <laughs> gassing people. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it's probably a war crime, but uh, it was better than the Ninja Turtles who had attitudes and used violence. So, Oh. Mm. Um, Darkwing Duck. And then I uh, somehow this movie called The Rescuers Down Under. I have no idea yeah. if it's you, okay. You've heard of it or yeah. seen it? Um, I think I internalized that movie, which is about a little boy in Australia and some animals who are fighting a evil, large truck driving poacher. And I, uh, for at least five years growing up, when I imagined played as a kid, I was the poacher police and my stuffed animals assisted me and we fought the poachers. And that was our, uh. That was that was like everything that I that I did growing up. Really, uh, which I think is funny now because the poachers just represented everything that was wrong. Uh, but I think it's funny that it's like oh, like hunting out of season and you know illegal trapping of game for you know for financial. It's the worst thing you can think of. <laughs> yeah, that's that's as low as it gets. <laughs> um, 
But uh, I learned through those things uh, three main things for how you can know if someone is a bad guy. So Okay. The most obvious one, of course, although this doesn't apply to Darth Vader, is if they smoke cigarettes. Oh. So all you, you know, if if you don't know anything and then you, it's the person smoking the cigarette is the bad guy for right? sure. Oh yeah. So then the next thing to look for is just if someone is ugly. Mm, That's a yeah. dead giveaway. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. The ugliness in their heart has come to the outside. Yep. And they're ugly now. So th- that's just, you can, you can know. And man, that poacher was hideous and he had a hideous, ugly lizard sidekick. Um, and I'm pretty sure he smoked. <laughs> and then the, the final, if you just like really want to go the next level evil, um, you add a foreign accent. Oh, preferably so, like Russian or German, Russian or German, extremely evil, but any, any foreign accent is, is like you, like, you know, you're in, or if they're like presence. really devious evil, it's British. It, the worst is British. So if you turn the corner <laughs> and you're in a dark alleyway and Mr. Bean is smoking a cigarette, it's <laughs> uh, good. You have found evil incarnate. So yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this idea that I've, I've been mulling over that has to do with how I learned concepts of good and evil and, and, and how I've applied them in my life in oh, weird, interesting. upside down, broken ways. Okay. And uh, it's, you got to kind of follow me. It, it's a, it's a medium long journey from where I start, but it's going somewhere. So it starts with Sunday school and, and being a kid being raised in the church of Christ, but this could have happened. And I'm sure lots and lots of different kinds of churches, uh, Sunday school. And it starts with very good and well-meaning Sunday school teachers. And it, and it, our tradition, and I think a lot of others, um, what we do to the stories we use to teach kids tend to come from the old Testament. A lot. Yeah. A, a lot of them that not definitely not, um, not all of them. You'll, you'll do the one where Jesus was a kid lost in the temple yeah, and Zacchaeus is a good one. Uh, several stories from Jesus. Well, Old Testament stories have a lot better plot. Oh, there's you know? way more fun than Jesus yeah. stories. Yeah, there's a short guy who gets to go eat dinner with a <laughs> rabbi. You know, the the only cool thing about that story is that he climbs a sycamore tree. Right. Um, and tr- climbing trees is fun, but there's I mean, hey, you get the Book of Judges. I mean, come on. Oh. You there's there's a uh, cutting hair and blindness and super strength. And the guy is yeah. so fat that they stab him and like the the sword gets all the way in inside, like closes <laughs> yeah. in his belly. All, all yeah, exactly, <laughs> all the way in. There are lots of animals. There's a guy who talks to a donkey, so yeah. you teach that to kids because of animals. There's Noah and the destruction of a lot of mankind and the animals. Right. So there's um, death and destruction. Yeah, Adam and Eve and animals. You know, any any story with animals. Um, but you know, what, what people are trying to do is how do you, is a well-meaning thing. It starts out, Hey, let's teach kids about the Bible. That's a good thing. Sure. Um, so, but as when you're a kid, you, you can't dive into the depths of the old Testament with your Sunday school teacher. 
and look at the nuances and, and what's going on. So a lot of times what you learn is just the story. And there, there's this way that it gets taught that, that on accident, because we're kind of simplifying things and erasing a couple of weird or confusing or even maybe just not, uh, not PG-rated things in, sure. in the stories. Mm-hmm. So you end up with kind of a caricature of what what's really happening. So Noah and the flood, Abraham, you know, David and Goliath, maybe. Um, what else? The, you know, lo- lots of these stories that that are going to be sound pretty familiar to people who grew up in in a church of some kind, going to Sunday school. Um, and and so the, that's all that's all good stuff. But a lot of times we read the story and there's a hero like Noah and then a villain like the rest of the people or David is the hero and Goliath is the villain or even you know, Abraham and maybe Lot is the bad guy. And so instead of doing this thing that would be impossible with kids, which is like, Hey, what is this story trying to say about us? Or, you know, why did they make this decision? Why, why is, is God telling us a story? often it turns into here's a good behavior or a good trait to emulate from that story. So maybe Daniel was brave and standing up in a time that it was hard to stand up. Let's so Daniel's a good guy. Let's be like Daniel in that story or um, who's the Egyptian. Who's the Egyptian? Um, Joseph. And was decent and upstanding and moral and ran away from Potiphar's wife, even though it cost him his job. Right. And so there's there's this thing that ends up happening on accident when you teach a lot of Old Testament and some New Testament stories of uh, here's the good guy in the story. Sometimes there's a villain and then good guys do this or maybe the, the villain did this. And when, you know, as kids, that that's probably as deep as you can go. Yeah. But uh, I started to soak that in and on accident learn some lessons about what does it mean to be maybe Israel and the chosen people of God that, that might have been uh, wrong. And, hmm. and, then, and then a couple of things about what is a good guy and what is a bad guy. And, and it bleeds into the New Testament for sure, so... We take uh, some of those ideas, you know, Abraham is the good guy, Lot is the bad guy, or maybe it's the king that Abraham, you know, he's passing through his territory. Maybe that's the bad guy. David's the good guy. Saul's the bad guy. And I, Moses and, and I, Pharaoh. You know. Moses and Pharaoh. And I always identified with the good guy in the story, just like Darkwing Duck yeah. or the little kid in Rescuers Down Under. I always read read myself in the hero role. Yeah, as, as you the, would, right? As the good guy, yeah, I did that when I read Harry Potter. Um, it's unless you're Daniel, then you're Darth Vader. Unless you're Daniel, or those people who read it and they're like, "I'm going to be a Slytherin," you know. <laughs> so, so, so something's broken in those people that we can't fix, you know. So we're not gonna, we can't, <laughs> we can't help them. But it's, it, I want to be the hero of the sto- of my story, and and when I read these, I I start to see the world that way. Um. And in, when I was in maybe first grade or kindergarten, I remember my idea of 
that there are good guys and bad guys was so well developed that there was a kid on my street. He was 16, so I thought he was an adult. He he was in his teens. I don't know how old he actually was, but he was a kid. And I knew he he wore bandanas like gangsters. Mm, yeah. And he had been to some kind of juvenile prison. Whoa. So bad dude. And he lived in between me and my friend's house. So I had to pass by his house every time I went to play with my friend. And I knew somehow, I, I don't know how I knew that, right? But I knew that this guy had been to prison. His name was Curtis. He smoked cigarettes sometimes. Whoa. So, I mean, he wasn't British, but it didn't matter. <laughs> And I knew, so I knew he was a bad guy. I would, I would hold my breath when I crossed over, or run super fast, or I, I was kind of scared of this house. I, I almost never saw Curtis, but I knew who he was. And then one day, I crashed my bike right in front of his ha- his house. My face hit the curb. I was bleeding, oh. and I was also like tangled up in my bike. You know, oh. like only kids can do yeah, when you fall, yeah. and you're like. You know, your limbs, it feels like they're like a Looney Tunes where your tail gets sucked into the chain. Yeah. And Curtis came out as I was trapped, right? Uh, Couldn't move. And I was like, this is the end. But he came out with a rag and he got me untangled from the bike and he helped me with my bloody nose and he was kind and nice and he served me. And my little first grade brain... just exploded because I had an idea of what a good guy is and what a bad guy is. Right. And Curtis ruined it for me. Hmm. He was a bad guy that was doing this extremely good thing. And I I was, I was being loved in that moment. I was being served or, or helped or whatever by, by Curtis. And all of a sudden my categories didn't make sense. Yeah. Which box does he go in now? Yeah, he was because, again, it's the the Disney trope or 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 even the accidental Sunday school thing is Pharaoh is a bad guy, Moses is a good guy, and I had interpreted that as I'm a I'm a good guy, whatever that means as a first grader, and there are bad guys, and you can identify them by some you know. Curtis, if he, maybe if he swore or drank or, or smoked or if he wasn't a Christian or th- there's ways for me to figure out yeah. are you are you with me or, or against me? And so I expected, I guess I expected him to be evil all the way down. But he might have been zero evil because 16-year-olds who go to prison tend to have a lot of pain in their lives, you know? Yeah. But it was, it was a little bit of a glimpse into... Maybe that it's more complicated than I thought. Mm. Um, and so re- revisiting as an adult some of those stories of, of the heroes, I, I, I realized m- many of the what I th- thought of of the heroes of the Old Testament are very flawed people. Um, and the, all of the stories that I had heard, uh, Noah is a first of all a very complex and there's some darkness in in the story of the flood. Yeah. But then he has a weird shameful exit. His the last story of Noah is 
his son finding him drunk and naked, which is maybe a weird euphemism that we don't really need to Mm -hmm. get into, and then his other sons covering his drunken nakedness. Mm. You know, and that's not a story about something we should emulate because the Old Testament recognizes that Noah is not a... It's not presenting Noah as a hero, but I read it as presenting Noah as a hero. But it presents Noah as a as someone who is working through the complexity of a relationship with God. And it's just kind of weird that it ends that way. Abraham, with the weird stories with kings and him telling the kings that it's fine to marry his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally weird. Not... It's not behavior to emulate. It's not, there are things that, you know, are called out about Abraham that are righteous or that uh, trusting or faithful. But the story of Abraham is a lot more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Um, David, clear example, but Isaac and Jacob, right? Um, Isaac, the conniving, uh, deceptive, kind of bratty, Wait, did I get that wrong? That's Jacob. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Which one is the one that uh, sleeps with the prostitute that's actually his daughter-in-law? Is that Isaac or Jacob? <laughs> so when you... Uh, the Bible. <laughs> yeah, when, when, the, when the Israelites said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, you can read that as the God of the, f- the heroes of our faith or like, man the God of some messed up people who are, don't get, always get it right. Right. Yeah. Cause Jacob, I mean, I, f- I forget the, the prostitute thing, but he, he's, he stole the birthright from his brother and then lied to his blind dying dad. <laughs> right. I so, think it's, I mean, yeah. Which, so, uh, man, I, um, I'm sad that I, I didn't look it up. I think it's Jacob though, that, um, he has a daughter in law, his, his son dies or something. So she's destitute. She's not being taken care of by the family anymore. She was maybe a foreigner or something and she can't get him to, to take care of her as a, um, basically a widow. And so she dresses as a prostitute. Oh yeah. Waits, waits by the city gate. Right. And he's like, Oh, here, there happens to be a prostitute. I'll give you my cord and my staff or whatever as a Uh promise. And then she's like, caught you, you gross sicko. Now give me, like, take care of me now, right? Huh. Um, so anyways, the, that's a obscure and uh, – <laughs> sorry to drag us to there. But so the, the story of the Old Testament is so much more nuanced than I had been taught. Um, and I don't – it's not saying the Israelites were amazing – Everyone else was not, and so therefore God chose the Israelites as his people. It was more right. like God chose Israel. They didn't deserve it, though, and they kept not deserving it for their whole existence. Um, so it's more of a story of God's putting up with them than a story of their excellence. Yeah. But the way that Israelites saw themselves was as special. Like, hey, we're the chosen people. That makes us awesome. Um. And I had in, internalized and interpreted that also. So the new chosen people are the Christians. And uh, 
me being a Christian means I'm on Team God. Mm-hmm. The people who do things like smoke are on Team Satan. And so uh, the, I divided the world without anyone telling me that into good guys and bad guys, and I was on Team Good Guy. Mm. So, I, I totally can relate. Oh, and, you know, the then determining, you know, I, I didn't question that I was Team Good Guy because I'm beautiful, I don't smoke, and I am an, have an American accent. So Right, you, and you go to church. And I go to church um, Sunday morning and Sunday night because, you know, and possibly know had, Wednesday. <laughs> and Wednesday. I had some friends who only, you know, had time for God Sunday mornings and then, yeah. you know, heathen Sunday night. And I I felt a little bit better than them. Um, but as it as you as I brought that into the New Testament, um, I, I read myself into all of the best parts of the story. Mm-hmm. And the, in the in the New Testament, there are villains like Pharisees and Sadducees, um, Herod, Herod and Pilate, maybe, you know, maybe um, some cr- Christians in Paul's letters who are misbehaving somehow. Sure. And I, I didn't ever take, I didn't ever look at any of those things as like, I wonder if this applies to me. Um, I because I saw myself so much as in as a, as a good guy, as opposed to out. Um, and so then I, uh, another story about how I internalized this so young as a maybe first through fourth grader, there were four kids who lived on my block and two of us were Christians, whatever that means when you're eight. Right. And, and, Two were not. One was an atheist and believed in evolution. Whoa. Yeah, so she was dumb. And then uh, another one was just kind of a a bad guy in making, getting into trouble, kind of kind of mean, kind of a a problem. So we didn't even know if he was a Christian or not. We just knew he was a bad guy. So clearly not right. Not a Christian. Yeah. So I remember as in those formative years, um. A neighborhood practice was the Christians would get together and have exclusive club meet, club meetings. Really? Specifically to exclude Megan, my atheist neighbor, and Jody, my sinner neighbor. Whoa. And, and we just felt like super righteous, and we called it the G-O-D club. You did not. <laughs> yeah, we called it the G-O-D club, and we actually did that to make fun of Jody. Because if you say G-O-D really fast, it kind of sounds like you're saying his name, but he wasn't allowed in the club. Oh. So this is the amount of meta layers of horrible wrongness that this is, is unending. That, um, And nobody taught us this. Nobody right. said, don't hang out with sinners or you should exclude your neighbors because they're not Christians. But I, I learned good guys and bad guys. I'm a good guy and you you're against the bad guys. It's us versus them. And so my role in that that I you know poor your you know if your mom being my Sunday school teacher for a few years if she had known I was doing this would have been horrified. Oh, absolutely. Um this is not what we're intending, but you know that's it's how it soaked in. And so I I have guilt that is never going to go away by the way when I think about conversations I had with Megan or Jody. 
uh, right? The, and the, and, but a sad thing is the, the view that they saw of eight-year-old Christian Nathan, it's not that far removed from how a lot of the non-believing world feels mm-hmm. when they come in contact with Christianity on the news, maybe some, you know, the loudest Christian talking head on a, on a cable show or, or a sign or a bumper sticker and it's, I'm, I am so uh, convicted of, of those times as a kid, but I think it's a good, I feel like it's a good exaggeration of the problem that I, that I kind of um, internalized. So it kind of leads to associating being a Christian with moral behavior and, and, and a righteousness above other people, being better than people. Yeah, or like a moral perfection almost. Like like you, you said a few episodes ago that you need Jesus more than anybody else, right? I think a lot of us feel that way. But it's it's almost like when you're when you're a kid and it's thinking this simplistic way, if you're a Christian, that means everything about what you're doing is fine and good. Yeah. And and the you know, there are things that we do maybe that we know the reason for it and it's right com- compared to someone else. And so I- instead of the natural, the natural response to meeting God is not, I'm so great. Right. E- even in the, in the Bible, the stories of people meeting God are, I'm terrified. I should not be here. And I, I think often that has to do with suddenly seeing yourself as what you are, which is not perfect by any means. The rain is falling hard on this dusty ground. And I got no way of knowing what will grow. Love for me, your resentment for the words that I spoke. But the sky is pouring down, so either way, we'll know. I took a long time in Church of Christ terms to get baptized. I I had been thinking about it since I was, you know, kids might maybe started eight or nine. And then thirteen's yeah. a really big year, yeah, uh, for baptism at camp or something. I was thirteen, it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I was very conflicted, and I waited for what now is kind of silly. I was sixteen, but that's that's three years well, past some people's age of accountability. Uh, but I, I had a strong sense that I was not yet good enough to be a Christian, mm. which is the opposite of the gospel. Yeah. So it's funny that I was, I was baptized into an inverted gospel because I was waiting to be, I don't know, know enough or be right enough to then do it. The funny thing is I can't remember us, you know, my zero through 16 year old sin compared to my 16 through 35 year old sin 
is not <laughs> comparable. So I was pretty dang good on the yeah. if you know on the on the spectrum, but I think it's telling that I didn't feel good enough, and that I thought that was a thing that you needed to be in the club of Christianity. So when you were little, you felt like you were fine and everything was great and you're good. Then you reached a point where you started like you kind of flipped. Yeah, and it was probably around you know. Uh, church camp baptism age so when my 13 year old friends were being baptized i was like i i knew what was wrong with me yeah and and it was that i had a temper and it was not knowing very much about the bible not talking to my friends enough about the bible um not you know it it was it was maybe what you would get on accident if you went to Sunday school and you learned here's the things that you do if you're a Christian kind of. Well, and if, like you said, it when, I mean, it makes sense to teach kids, little kids that just like the, the positive aspects of the story. Like yeah. you teach the Noah story up until he gets off the ark and then <laughs> next tower of Babel, they're bad people, you know, and move, tower you of Babel. Know. Yeah. And, uh, and it makes sense to do that when you're kids. Cause you know, there's some pretty heavy themes like you mentioned with, with Noah and the nakedness and stuff, but it it can lead to definitely this feeling that, that I mean, you start reading those stories, even when you get older, you start reading those stories and then you read the part with Noah being great. And like, I, that would be me totally. And then when he does something bad, you're like, Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Or we read all the stories about Israel screwing up and we're like, oh, that wouldn't have been me. I would have, I would have totally believed that that was Jesus coming back. I wouldn't have been like Thomas, you know? Yeah. It, and the, what I know about myself though, is that I am a Pharisee and I am, yeah. I'm Zacchaeus pre Jesus, not post Jesus, or I'm, I'm more like Pharaoh than I am Moses, but I'm a lot like Moses in the times when he gets puffed up with pride or loses his temper or, yeah. or is leading people in one way, but not acting in another way. You know, the I sometimes I'm more like the serpent than Adam or Eve. Yeah. And um and but definitely in the in the New Testament, I th- I think that we miss as Christians we miss so much if we if we see something like a Pharisee as an as the them and we see what Jesus was doing as us. And and yeah. on the surface it's like, hey, I don't you know I don't get all uptight about the Sabbath. I'm a Jesus. But I certainly do the thing that they were doing, which is uh, draw the lines around all the the things that aren't as important as people. Or, yeah. um, or just putting so much, you know, I, I'm so much more like a Pharisee because I grew up as a, as a Christian. So I, I'm earnestly seeking to do these things right. And the Pharisees were, I think, got it the most right of anyone in the Bible. Except that they got each individual tree right and the, the forest of mercy and justice and uh, caring about people and loving people got, got lost in each, you know, do not smoking, not having a British accent and and <laughs> not having a you know messed up face or something. I think uh, it, it bleeds into... Christianity as a whole in a few ways. One is, I think there's a fear in Christianity of 
morality outside of Christianity. Hmm. So what I mean by that is, um, well, it's a, it's a two edged sword. So I'll talk about the outside first. It's completely a true statement in my opinion that non-Christians can be moral people and they can be wise. They can be loving. They can be kind. But I think that's a, almost a sacrilegious thing for a lot of Christians to accept that, Hey, do you know what? If a, a, you know, smart astrophysics, I can't even say it because I'm, I'm not one, um, can come up with this amazing thing and, uh, or even have a, maybe a great idea on how to love your neighbor. Or, uh, I, I've had, uh, atheist neighbors who are decent, kind, nice people. Mm-hmm. You can do it. You can get to nice from a lot of ways. And on the one side is it's a little scary to think about the outside non-Christians and accept good from that. You know, um, some in the news recently, for example, critical race theory is really controversial and the Southern Baptist convention came out against it. Right. And the, and the reason they came out against it was it has atheist roots. It, you know, it's, like somehow related to Marx. Marx and some other atheists came up with the core ideas and critical theory. And how, so it's kind of like, how could anything good come from that since it didn't come from this root of the inside in Christianity? It's by definition right. wrong. But I use light bulbs and, <laughs> you know, there, you know, I, there are good things that I've gotten from non Christian people and it doesn't rock my boat or, shake my foundation to admit that because I'm not better than non-Christians. So that's the, that's the other side of the sword is, um, is this feeling that like, what is good about me is that I am a Christian like that. That puts me on a pedestal. Um, and I, I think that's the most dangerous when Christianity is, your tribe it's when it's your cultural identity and and it distinguishes you from an other from the people around you but yeah i remember as a kid you know the the books and honestly all the way, i think of it through all the way through university books and songs and anything having to in the religious sphere it had to be a member of the Church of Christ, and I remember um, one of my preacher classes and at, at, at college was like an introduction to preaching or something. Or I forget exactly the terms, which class it was. But the 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 minister the the minister the professor got up in front of class the first day, and he's like, "Okay, you got guys bought all the books for the class." It was like five books or whatever. And he's like, just so you know, I want to let, get this out of the way ahead, ahead of time. Not all of these books are written by members of the church. Some <laughs> of these, like this one guy, this wrote this pastoral counseling book. He's he's a Baptist, and he, he explained all like the background of all these authors. And he's like, we just gotta eat the meat and spit out the bones, <laughs> like as as though if they weren't a member of the church quote unquote 
there's definitely going to be bones in there. But right. that was not said about the books that were <laughs> written by members of the church. So that's kind of an extreme thing as far as like the distinctions between uh, divisions within within the, the larger group of G- Christ followers. But yeah, especially this idea that if, if something is comes is is invented by or developed by a non-christian then it's suspect immediately and the, the the there's a couple of dangers from that which is sure we should be discerning when we look at something you know i guess written from by an outsider let's let's say that but we should be equally discerning of the inside stuff yeah cuz it's you know it, it should almost be the opposite it it'd be easier to say Hey, C.S. Lewis is an Anglican, so some stuff is going to stick out to you, and that's going to, so your radar is going to be up, and you're going to be testing and looking to make sure this is all good stuff, right? But if if you are reading your tribe, your people you already agree with, then your your radar is down. You are not yeah. you're not being discerning about. Wait a minute, is that is this a true thing? Is this a good noble thing? Is, is this person, you know, getting something wrong? Um, or do they have an ulterior motive? Sure. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the I think a and then a, a couple other really dan- dangerous things that come out of that. Um, one is if we are we're Christians, so that makes us better than other people. Um, so then, if we discover darkness, there's an impulse to hide it. So mm-hmm. that happens in me as a, as an individual Christian. I, I know what my darkness is. I know that like, I think all these people think I'm a Jedi, but I know I'm a Sith. Yeah. And I want to be on the good guy team and the people around me all seem perfect. And so the impulse is I'm going to do what I can to make it so that people can't see what I've got wrong with me. Um, Right. The the most dangerous is when that happens in Christian leaders and we protect them, maybe. So yeah, the, there's a lot of pressure there, yeah. So you know, the Ravi Zacharias, did I say yeah. his name right? Um yeah. there there was pressure to not let the world know this guy's moral failings because of how because he was on the right team, he's a Jedi fighting for the right cause and he's done done a lot of good. And because we've inflated ourselves as beings more morally superior, mm-hmm. that means there's danger in people learning that we're not morally superior. And yeah. so, so we expend a lot of energy personally, just in our lives, hiding from other Christians. But even in its worst cases, uh, protecting Christians who are hurting people from being found out or... Um, and it, all of that could be deflated if we just started from, yeah, c- Christian means that you need Jesus. It it starts from, yeah, we're actually acknowledging that we're worse than other people and that that's part of who we are and that the people that smoke may probably have something figured out that we don't. We have even less than that. So Jesus is filling up the gap for us. And it still would be hard. It's hard to share your, your failings, but... I mean, at a minimum, like we're not better than other people, right? And and even even people who have been a Christian for a long time are they're 
I think there's this feeling that 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 we must we must be getting the moral stuff. You know, if I'm a ten-year Christian, I forgot my ten-year badge. I'm that ten times, you know, one year's worth of being a Christian better than the heathens around me. Um, but it's it's I don't personally think that's true. I th- I think that the relationship with God can be getting better and better and better. Um, but there's still a lot of that Sith darkness in in us, and and I think it's the more the more we admitted that with humility, I think the more the world would be open to us. Um, but oh, also, sure. we would be more open to relationship and and conversation with people, with the Megans and the Jodies of the world who don't need to be told that they're not good because they also feel it. I, I know I'm aware of my... Uh, of the things that are wrong with me and I'll, you know, I'm sure I'm missing some too, but I, I'm very aware that I'm not as good as people. I'm not as tall or smart or strong or whatever. And other people are too. And that the more that we as Christians, you know, make ourselves out to be even, even better. That's, that's just distance from these people who, who you know, like how, how can we be in a con- How can we be hanging out with Zacchaeus or with, you know, the Peters and Matthews of the world, if if they are getting, not only are we do we feel better, but people know when you f- feel superior to, superior to them. Please don't turn away. Please don't hide. Would you remember the sunny days we shared? And all the laughter and joy before the rain. And I think, so So the like good guys, bad guys, am I morally superior? That's a big thing. But then uh, especially in this recent year, just the us against them. Mm. So if if I'm a good guy and there are bad guys and I learned my Sunday school lessons that you fight the bad guys, you know, Pharaoh yeah. or Palestine, you know, Goliath, then it's very much about it's me versus them. And you you could read that into the Old Testament and be like it was Jesus against the Pharisees, you know, um and we we start to turn that into a, it has become a cultural thing where um, cultural Christianity is fighting against the, the influence of the world in elections or in, yeah. um, it, there's countries where this happens in wars. Um, but if you, if you're an adult Christian, cause I'm, this is something I struggle with every day, this bad versus good. Um, but if you're an adult Christian and you have encountered the words of Jesus, uh, you should be very, very careful about this us versus them stuff. Because Jesus came to a culture who very much identified themselves as the good guys. And he said things like, oh, you're the good guys? You you know, 
you're proud of yourself because you think you can keep making babies for God as the chosen people. But I tell you the truth, or that Jesus way of saying like, hey, I'm I'm not joking here. God, if God can will make good guys out of rocks. All right, he's yeah, he's okay. He doesn't need you so that he can have lots of chosen people. That's not. It's not about you continuing to be Israelites and be special. It's 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 not about that at all. Um, and I I just think at cultural Christianity we have we have adapted this this idea that uh, Christians are morally superior to the world and that we are now in a battle against the world. Well, like the the speaking of politically, back in the eighties when the whole moral majority thing came up came to being, I mean, the, the it just saying it, it's like we are moral, <laughs> right? And we are the majority, <laughs> and so therefore you have two reasons to listen to us. Not only are we, yeah, and they nice, weren't the majority, yeah. and not only were they not the majority, they're not the, they weren't all that moral either. I mean, because they're people. I mean. There's so many examples of this in in the world. I mean, I mean not just. I mean, our, coming from our our sphere of just Christians in general, it's so frustrating when um, Christians put themselves out there as I am perfect because I'm a Christian. And of course, yeah, if you ask them, if you, you quiz them, they're like, "Oh no, I'm a sinner too." You know, it's like Paul, chief of sinners, but they don't act like it. They they act like they know better and that they are better. And if you don't do exactly what they do and live like they do, then something's immoral about you just by your existence. Yeah. There's, there's such a relief from, if, if you've known, uh, I, I've heard that these people referred to, it's kind of ironic as salt of the earth. Yeah. Like just in our society, I, I don't know if it's just my family that uses this, but salt of the earth it's funny, it comes from the Bible, but it's more talking about like, what, what does it mean? So if, I, if someone says they're just the salt of the earth, I think of like they're, they're a good old boy from down at the farm. Yeah, know? they're, you know, they're <laughs> a little bit simple. But they yeah. got a lot of character though. They're maybe feisty or, you know, they're, um, they're all right. You know, they're yeah. salt of the earth. And Average that, Joe type yeah. of thing. But but they're kind of like the people. So the way I've I've heard this used, I interpret it as the people who have their guards down. Hmm. They're, they're not trying to impress someone with how good they are, and so they'll accidentally misspeak, or they'll be like, you know what, I'm a little bit drunk right now. I apologize, or you know, they're they're just open with their with who they are. Right. right? It's it's funny that. Uh, I, you know, again, I, it may just be that the way I've heard it, I've, I've figured that that must be what it means, but yeah, it's, they're not, they're not putting on airs. They're not, they're not, they're, they're adding flavor, um, Uh, not starch, you know, um, that was a weird mixed metaphor starch, meaning (laughs) what you do to clothing, but it's also a food. Uh, I'm I'm following. You're following. Okay. So, you know, we are. The, called to be the salt of the earth, not the starch of the vest. I don't know what you <laughs> add starch to. So, you know, um, <laughs> melt the ice. Is that, is that a phrase? That's I'm, this is a triple mixed <laughs> metaphor now, but, um, 
But the the non-Christians and the Christians that I have been attracted to are the people who have their guard down. They are just authentic. Um, and being authentic, it's not that they're good enough to let their guard down. It's that they let their guard down and they just didn't worry so much about how they're going to be perceived. Um, and it, yeah, you know, it's Peter. P- Peter was the brash, Peter was salt of the earth in that he, you know, he, he did everything wholeheartedly. He got it wrong, but he, he wasn't so afraid of his reputation. He, he didn't have that thing to, af- to defend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I taught a class at church a while back. I'm looking at my bookshelf, trying to find the book. It's over there somewhere. Too many books. Uh, it, it's uh, unchristian. It's written by Gabe Lyons, I think, and I forget the other guy's name. I'll I'll find it. Stick it in the show notes. Um, but unchristian, and it it was Barna Barna Group. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, the whole premise of it was the Barna Group did a lot of research with non-Christian people. They, the term they used was outsiders, just not evangelical or whatever Christians in general, just not at all. And like they said, what are your views of people who are Christians? And like, what do you think about them? And they had some, you know, criteria and things like that. And so many of them were like perceptions were they're hypocritical. They hate gay people. They're too political. Um, all these things, and so many of them came down to the fact that Christians, they, the perception was that Christians in general presented themselves as perfect and figured it out. They got it. They got it down. No matter what happens, they're going to go to heaven. You're not. Sorry about that. You know, bummer for you. Yeah. But anything that I do is somehow explained away or or de facto correct because I'm a Christian. And that caused such consternation and, and anger and frustration with these people, uh, you know, understandably so, because they know they're not, that, that Christians are not perfect. But by by presenting yourself as that I've got it all figured out, then, I mean, ex- extreme examples, not maybe not that extreme, just honestly, common example these days is people say, I follow Christ. And then they watch how their, their actions about social justice or uh, loving the outsider, you know, all these things, how they watch people, how they act that way. And then they go, then these non-Christians go and look at the Bible and they see how Jesus acted. Like, that's not, that's not, that didn't match (laughs) at all. And it, I just remember thinking when I read that book and I taught that class about how, much of this could be like ameliorated and it would go away if Christians would just be more humble and, and honest about reality. I mean, I don't have to go around saying what all my specific sins are, but if I, if I just come across as I'm a, like, I don't have it figured out. Like you're saying, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got darkness in me. I I've got problems. And I don't know. I like to tell people, 
Because there's a guard that goes up if someone does find out that I'm a Christian. Yeah. Which is the result of years of trauma. So it makes me sad, first of all, because that guard that goes up is there for a reason. And it's it's uh, not something I'm proud of that Christianity has done in our culture. But when people find out I'm a Christian, I like to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm I'm the kind that is the sick that needs the doctor kind of Christian. I'm the I'm the sick person who needs to be in a hospital, and that's that's why I need Jesus. And and it the guards go down a little bit when it's I, I'm kind of saying like it's it's because I've acknowledged that I just need help, and yeah, you know I need more help than my friends, and the I think. Um, so if I was, you know, if I was going to go back to the very, very root and teach Sunday school to my kid, I've, I've tried to look at, first of all, the New Testament instead of the Old Testament, but also uh, turn these into who, who should your heart be going out to, to look to help? Um, not how good are you by obeying your parents or you know, do you do your chores or not? Or do you pray mm-hmm. as much as Daniel did? But right. um, are you starting to see people like Jesus saw people? And that means if someone is hurting, then you you try to see that um, and help mm-hmm. them. Or if, uh, if you see someone who's nervous about going to school, then, you know, what can you start to s- sympathize with that? Um, can you... And as I'm teaching my son that, I'm trying to learn that myself um, because I've, I still have this, uh, these hangups about that I'm, I'm in and other people are out, but, but Jesus came to the in group and said, it's, it's, I don't care that you're in, you're, you know, you're, you're doing it wrong. And a lot of his ministry was, um, reaching out to the out and and he mm-hmm. tried to say this horrible thing Jesus did not give us a loophole so first he said you have to love God and love your neighbor and if that wasn't wor- as you know egregious then he specifies the story about the good samaritan um where he puts that one person that you just wish was not like no that's my enemy not my neighbor Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like a good practice for Christians is to tell yourself the Good Samaritan story. You got to be the priest, or the you've got to be one of the religious people, and then you 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 cycle through people in your head, and then you stick in that person as the Samaritan that just oh stabs into your side. <laughs> so this this changes. So for me, um, I've I've told the story to myself. And I just hate it when I do this too. It's it's very frustrating experience. If you want to meditate, <laughs> but also be frustrated, you tell the Good Samaritan, but then you say, uh, you know, a Church of Christ guy walked by because he was late for Wednesday night. And then, uh, mm. you know, the Baptist was going to the liquor store because that's our joke about Baptist. And then the, <laughs> you know, the, I don't know, the um, my pillow guy walked by because he had a shipment of pillows. But then <laughs> you fill in, but then the this person stopped. And I, uh, for a while for me, it was 
I would fill it in with then the illegal immigrant stopped and helped the guy. Like, mm. dang it. You know, we're supposed but they're illegal they're breaking the law. They're they're immoral just as existing people. No, of course not. They're the, you know, the, if that's the one that sticks out to you, that's who you stick in the story. Or you say the queer transgender person stopped and helped the guy and then you're like, "Dang it, Jesus." Or you say the MAGA um, buffalo helmet wearing guy stopped. Or you say, then the cop stopped. Or then you say, then the Black Lives Matter activist stopped. And it's yeah. what you, you just plug in whoever that person is that just makes you go like, that's my neighbor? Yeah. So that's hard enough. Love God and love your neighbor. And as if he has not already stabbed us in the middle of the heart. Then Jesus says, oh, and then your enemy, you should, you should love your enemy too. So the, in the Venn diagram of like, okay, if they're not God, are they your neighbor? Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out. So I do the good Samaritan story, but put in kind of like the person that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's my neighbor. Okay. I've got to love them rats. And then it's like, okay, who's left my enemies. Yeah. And God says, love them. And leaves no room for any us versus them. None. Yeah. And he's constantly doing this to Israel because that was who needed it then. He's saying, hey, the Gentiles or, you know, Elijah couldn't find someone righteous enough. So he had to go outside of Israel to find that person because the astrophysicist, atheist, was the was the person he was looking for. Yeah. You know? Um and the you know Peter needed this when when he was really struggling with with Paul and and what should we do with believers who aren't circumcised and so Jesus showed him Cornelius this clearly moral upstanding relationship with God guy who was zero amount Jewish right and and and, and he and he was a like a military guy too and he was a roman yeah he was you know the Roman centurion. Yeah, that's that's not me saying like my enemy is the Democrat that is what's the what's a AOC. It, AOC <laughs> maybe could be the Samaritan for some people. Yeah. Um or on the maybe Rush Limbaugh could be the good Samaritan for some people. Right. But then he was like he went to communist China and found Cornelius. Right. And we're like, "Ah, oh, no, you're not saying that it goes, you know, they're also not us versus them. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, have you seen that? The, there's a version of the multiple versions of this cartoon floating around the internet interwebs, where it shows people like Jesus talking. It's like an old painting of Jesus talking to people, like at the sure Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and he goes, "Love everyone," and somebody in the crowd screams, uh, "Like, what about Gary?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, even Gary." And then, like, Gary speaks up. He goes, suck it, everybody else. (laughs) And he's like, Gary, you're not helping. Or the version that's like, (laughs) love everybody. And somebody's like, even the the transgender person or even the the Muslim or, you know, fill in the blank. And Jesus says, did I stutter? (laughs) You know? it's (laughs) Because if you ask God, who am I not supposed to love? You're not going to get an answer. Right. It's frustrating. Because I want a nemesis to hate yeah. and to fight and to be better than and uh, 
Jesus keeps taking them away from me, and it's frustrating. Spoiler alert. The enemy is you. No. Yeah. (laughs) I'm supposed to look at my own planks? (laughs) Yeah. I would rather be, I want to take the plank out of my eye and stab other people in the eye with it. (laughs) That's, that's, that's kind of where I am, but I'm confronting this Jesus who not only did he heal the guy's ear that clearly deserved it when one of his disciples, you know, in the great, what was about to be the most glorious moment? Who, who had the sword? Peter again? Peter, Peter, Peter. Finally, Peter, finally, Peter gets it right. The Messiah is about to be arrested. And Peter, single-handedly, because I'm pretty sure they only had one sword, right? Is that? I have no idea. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, (laughs) there's a Bible verse that cracks me up when uh, Jesus is like, "We, we probably could use a couple of swords, guys. And they're like, we have this one. And he's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, that'll do Peter. Thank you. You know, great. Peter's the one with the sword, you know? Um, but anyways, finally the Messiah they're in is they're in Jerusalem and he, he's been getting it wrong this whole dang ministry. And then he finally is like the hero of the story and, Almost. A, and attacks Rome. And then Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he heals him. And then he becomes like kind of the laughing stock, you know, like yeah, slumps off to himself and listens to roosters crow for a while until he can come back. So, um, yeah, the, the what you're saying earlier about the, the outsider, the, the importance of loving an outsider is something that it, it kind of hit me. I mentioned Joseph Shulam, the Jewish guy a while back. Uh, he's a Jewish Christian in Jerusalem. I was listening to one of his, his talks one time and it was entitled, Jesus was a Pharisee. I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> well, you got something wrong. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. But the entire thing was about, uh, he, had, he had a, made a very good point about how he thinks that looking back at history and what Pharisees were, Jesus was one of the Pharisees. So he was very much, the in crowd. He was, he was a trained as a rabbi clearly because he was teaching other people and they called him rabbi. He knew the scriptures and the, the Pharisees were known for there. That's one of the big things they were known for was having a high regard for scripture and knowing things and, and doing the right thing. And he, he was saying that that's why the, the Pharisees were following him around all the time, giving him a hard time telling me he was messing up. Because he was one of them. Huh. But Jesus was not about trying to make his in-group happy yeah. all the time. He could have gone around and taught the stuff that the Pharisees taught, because he knew it. He was one of them, possibly. But he went to the people who were on the outside, who were the, the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. And he didn't... I mean, he was perfect in every way we can imagine, but he didn't flaunt that around. He went, he just went and talked to the person who was a a leper outside, outside the city who nobody would talk to, nobody would love. Yeah. And when we have this us versus them, like you're talking about, it's, it becomes, I care about my in-group 
And I don't, I don't care. I actively don't care about you because you're on the outside. Mm, Even if that's a different name on your church building or a different political party, or you weren't born, born a girl. What do you think you're doing? You know, that kind of stuff. We, we do that so quickly and it, I, I have this issue too. I mean, because I'm a human, but the the fact is Jesus was all about loving and taking care of the outsider seems to be more than the insider. Cause I think the insiders can, they've, they're okay. They can kind of, they're, they're okay. Yeah. But it's the person who's on the, on the fringe, who's on the outside, who the rest of the world thinks is, is dirt and unlovable. That's who we need to focus on loving, not, not love passively, like the the Good Samaritan, the people walking by, I'm sure they, oh, I, I'm going to say prayer, you know, thoughts and prayers for you. But it's it's somebody who's loving actively and yeah. doing something purposely to change that person's life. And if I can continue on my soapbox for a second, it's not just get them into heaven, you know, because Jesus was all about taking care of people who were sick, people who couldn't eat. And then he talked to them about spiritual things. And that's what his focus was. And our our focus needs to be, as Christians, I think, finding that outsider, finding the fringe person, and just loving them where they are and helping them with life. And then you can get into this other stuff later. Yeah. I think it's it's so useful for Christians to try to see that perspective it's hard after 2000 years of of culture bleeding in and um tradition and and everything but the the pharisees were the good guys the if if you could draw an analogy to how an analog to how how does the culture see christians today it'd be similar to how gentiles or non-pharisees saw the pharisees that they had it figured out but also that they've they felt I would have felt lower than a Pharisee. I would have maybe seen some hypocrisy in the Pharisees, but for the most part, they were they weren't evil. They were they were trying to do it right. Yeah. Um, and and there's another thing to learn in that Jesus went from there, but said, you know, that it's, it's not the whole thing, and he showed it with his life. But then there was this reaction from the Pharisees that I think is really telling because the, the, the reason Jesus was killed was not because he loved people. It's because he was upsetting this, this idea that the Pharisees had of themselves. And, yeah. and I think as Christians, it's, it's more healthy for us to read ourselves as the Pharisees in the story to try to get what Jesus is telling us today. So as as Christians, we're going to have this reaction to people who um, maybe are outside. Maybe it's because they're in another denomination, but maybe it's because they're completely outside. Um, if we're thinking of Pharisees, we're, we're gonna we're gonna either feel better than those people, or we're gonna have a some kind of an anger gut reaction towards those people. The people who um, maybe even worse that are maybe who are part of our church and then, and then leave that church. Leaving a church is a really loaded phrase. 
Yeah. But there's all of this emotion that, that happens in that interaction. So as a, as Christians trying to read, read into the, the Pharisees, um, if we're, you know, if, if, if we're worried about someone being lost, then they shouldn't be our enemy. They should be, they should be, you know, like Jesus says that the sheep that went astray, that is worth chasing after. Um, and I, I think there's a a sad thing that happens, you know, in, in the church that I grew up in when let's say like leaders of the church, their kids go stay in town, but go to other churches. I think there's some shame around that or, or some embarrassment, but you know, the, these are kids who are still following and seeking Christ. But then when there's the other feeling that that'll happen, because this is certainly, I've seen this with, with my family when if, if you're not, you know, moving out of town, if you move out of town and you go to a church, you get a cake and a signed songbook. (laughs) But if, if there's a, if, if you're one of those people who's experienced leaving a church for some different reason, it's almost like going through a divorce only you don't get to call it that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so as if you're there in the church as the insider, I think there's this, you either want to feel anger or hurt or frustration or judgment, you know, either that person is lost or if they're not lost, they must be judging me for going for greener pastures, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's so sad that that, that emotion is happening um, but then if, if you're the one that's leaving, I think it's a good thing to ign- like work through and acknowledge like what, why am I feeling all these things? And yeah, I, th- I, I just think that the us versus them thing makes us, makes us dig trenches and solidify our barracks. But mm. I think that if we, we can be, we can break down those walls and we're going to be safe. God, God is the, the person who protects us. And we're going to be okay having friends that are not Christians, being in fellowship with Christians who don't see eye to eye on every topic. And even, you know, when, you know, Jesus' disciples were this group that could could not have been more different or or disagreed more. And then the people who Jesus spent time helping were, were that same thing. And I think we're a little bit afraid to let go of us versus them and and start seeing people like God sees them, which is neighbors or enemies that we're supposed to love, you know. Even Jody. Even Jody. Oh, man, Jody, I hope he's okay. I hope. Yeah, Megan and Jody, if you guys are out there, Nathan I'm, is sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I will. You're both allowed in the club. You don't have to be Christians. I'm sorry, Jody, for it's... You're in. I was the bad guy. I was the Sith. I was the poacher. Twist ending. Yeah. All along. It was double agent. I want to wrap it up? I think so, yeah. Okay. (laughs) See you later. See ya. Thanks, Steve. I had been screaming. We're really glad you joined us for our discussion today. For show notes and contact info, please go to followingthefire.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
We'd also really appreciate you giving us a review wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And special thanks to Daniel Wheat for our music. You can find more of his stuff on Spotify and Apple Music. See you later. But even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth